Net-A-Porter presents The Incredible Women Podcast, Series 4, The Disruptors. Hello, hello, hello. I can see you. Wonderful. I can hear you. You look magnificent. Infinitely more glamorous than myself, so thank you. <laughs> well, I appreciate that. You look lovely. Welcome to the new series of The Incredible Women Podcast. In this season, we talk intimately with the women challenging the status quo and campaigning for positive change. From rebels and mavericks to modern leaders, these are the inspiring women of today and tomorrow. I'm Alice Casely Hayford, and I'm absolutely thrilled to be joined by actor, producer, and LGBTQ advocate Laverne Cox for this episode of our Disruptors podcast. Laverne was catapulted to fame when she played Sophia Bassett in the hugely popular Netflix series Orange is the New Black, winning numerous awards, garnering critical acclaim and becoming internationally recognised as a trailblazer for the transgender community. Since then, Laverne has taken on a host of exciting, thought-provoking roles and projects while committedly campaigning for equal rights. Now she's back on our screens playing Casey Duke in Inventing Anna and last year she dazzled in Promising Young Woman directed by another of our Incredible Women podcast guests, Emerald Fennell. We're absolutely thrilled to kickstart the series with you. I guess so diving straight in, obviously we're celebrating a whole host of incredible women and disruptors. What does disruption mean to you and would you even consider yourself a disruptor? It's so wild. I, You know, disruption and... I feel like I should have thought about this more deeply before this <laughs> podcast, but it's undeniable that the career that I'm able to enjoy right now it is possible because a system that was in place that kept trans people in the margins has been disrupted, right? Am I personally a disruptor? I don't know. I feel like I'm someone who has had a dream my whole life and who's a creative person. I'm deep in um, artistic process right now. And that is like such a thrilling, wonderful thing for me. And that is the reason um, that I, that anyone has ever cared, even cared about what I have to say because I was on a TV show that was popular. And then beyond that, I had some things to say and um, about my community and about the world and about how um, trans people have been represented before me. So I don't know, but it, but it starts with the art for me. It starts with being an artist and starts with being um, deeply committed to process. So, well, I yeah. think even if you don't necessarily see yourself as a disruptor, we are incredibly grateful for all that you have done um, and how you've pushed forward representation. And, you know, you spoke about having a lot of things to say. Well, thank goodness you do, because your voice <laughs> um, is so essential and necessary. But I guess, um, you know, you mentioned Orange is the New Black, which I think you're referencing in terms of the show yeah. that really kickstarted your career and transported you into the public eye. Since then... Have you felt the way that Hollywood has treated you or maybe even specifically executives have treated you has changed? Because, you know, historically and even still, Hollywood has been an incredibly exclusive and elitist place. You know, even earlier this year, we saw a boycott of the Golden Globes because of a lack of diversity. Things are changing, creeping ever slowly. But have you seen a difference in the way that you've been treated over the past 10 years? I mean, certainly. I mean, I didn't have... I've, I have... I have been very lucky to be booked and busy <laughs> for the past um, 10 years. Um, and 
I think a lot of that is because I have a brand that I'm an actor, but also a lot of my uh, work over the past 10 years has been um, public speaking. I've been doing a lot of brand partnerships over the past several years. So my brand is not just acting. It's Mm -hmm. also, um, you know, branding. And so I do a lot of different things. And that has really served me because when if we look at my acting resume per se I am acting and I'm grateful for it but it's not I'm not acting in a lot of things um part I've turned down a a good number of things um but the roles that have come to me have been I mean, I'm grateful for the projects I've done last year. I was in an Oscar-winning film, Promising Young Woman, and I I did my first action film, Jolt. Um, but it's I, you know, I haven't really had a, the only starring role I've had in the past ten years was Rocky Horror Picture Show. Mm-hmm. I'm mostly a supporting actress. Um, I don't necessarily get a lot of screen time in the um, projects that I've worked on. Um, that's changing a little bit with Inventing Anna. So I mean, we can look, you know, and I'm not complaining, but I'm just trying to look objectively at the acting part of my career, because that was a really long answer to say that it's complicated around my career as an openly trans, trans Black actress who is over 40. These are very real things in Hollywood. I look at some of the things I've been offered as a black, black woman over 40, as an openly trans Black woman over 40. And I think um, some of the traditional ways in which Hollywood looks at uh, women over 40, Black women over 40, has reflected some of those offers, and min- many of which you haven't seen me in because I've turned them down. <laughs> So, um, yeah, and in the face of all that, I'm very optimistic because um, there are wonderful roles like um, Casey Duke, who I just got to play in, in Inventing Anna. So I, I'm not mad, you know, I'm very grateful. But I think it's complicated if you try to look objectively at like what um, the kind of career I've had. And, and I, you know... And I try to be objective about like my talent and how the industry may or may not see me. And so I work really, really hard on my craft and I am very interested in showing Hollywood and showing the world the depth of what I can do as an artist. And I think that is the most important thing. And I believe that if I continue to do that, the work will come even as I approach 50. Well, we we love how multifaceted your offering is. But I wanted to quickly go back before we talk about your many other talents to your acting career. And you said, you know, yeah. you've been um, picky. Are there criteria that you've always had in, in terms of choosing specific roles? Because the roles that you have had, how do you choose these projects? Because they often interrogate really interesting issues and they're these really powerful um, characters. Which roles do you gravitate towards and why? Sometimes it feels synergistic. I think when you, with artists, you know, when you meet, when artists come together and you, you're you on a same, in, in a vibe, in a wavelength, you, if you're vibrating on the same wavelength. When I, when I met Emerald, I, well, when I read the script for Promising a Woman, I was just like, I have to do this. This is just, I felt at the time that it was a genius script and that this woman was a genius. And I was like, I just have to be in this movie. And I, 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 you know, immediately called my, uh, you know, emailed my team and I was just like, get me a meeting, get me a meeting, you know? And I sat down with Emerald and I just, we just clicked, you know, it was a click that just felt very organic and wonderful. And I, 
I feel like I got what she was doing. And we had a deep conversation about Gail and I just, it just clicked. So a lot of it is about that sort of artist clicking. It's that piece, but then it's also projects that I feel I want to work with brilliant people. I mean, I, when I, um, you know, Justin Simeon is someone I'd, um, just when I, when I saw the first season of Dear White People, I was like, oh my God, this man's a genius. I want to work with him. And I was trying to get on, on Dear White People for like two seasons. <laughs> I, was like, I was meeting like different people, cast members like, please tell Justin, I want to be in the next season. And then I saw, ran into Justin at a party and I told him I've been sending subliminal and he then we we talked and then we um he was working on bad hair and he we called me in and we had like a little work session and he cast me for this wonderful role and I just think he's a genius and I think that story is brilliant and so for me I just want to work with artists who I feel are visionary and have interesting things to say and just in stories that are challenging um and then the characters. I want to play characters who, um, I now I just want to do things that I haven't done before, but characters who are multidimensional, who are beautifully flawed. Um, I always like to start with the way a character is flawed. And they think that our flaws are sort of what make us human. So a lot of it is about that. So I always kind of go there. I'm meeting with Shonda about inventing Anna and asking her what she thought Casey Dukes fatal flaw or tragic flaw was. Um, and it's a weird thing to say because Casey Duke is a real life person. So we won't, you know, <laughs> talk about what, what we what we concluded her tragic flaw might be. And I had the honor to um, sort of sit down with Casey. She trained me a few times and she told me her life story and what, what a life she's lived. I, part of me wants a Casey Duke, you know, biopic or something. It's been quite a life that she's lived so far. And I just, I, adore her. Um, I hope she's happy with what we've done with her life and her character and her humanity. Well, I urge everyone to watch Inventing Anna, but I think going away from your acting career and talking again about your storytelling of people's experiences and sharing different perspectives, you've also done that with your own podcast, The Laverne Cox Show. Um, Can you tell us a bit about about that experience and why um, you were keen to host your own podcast? The podcast really came out of me wanting to talk to people so that I could be a better version of myself and inviting the audience to come along for that journey. And I got to talk to really brilliant people about shame, about trauma. And we had some fun podcasts too. Of course, we had to do something on Beyonce. Yes. But I tried and to. And there's lots of talk on dating and things. It's There's, there's some lightness. And dating. And, yeah. It's really stuff I, I wanted to talk about, but I wanted to kind of elevate the conversation, yeah. have it be, you know, not just a kiki at times, <laughs> but something that like allowed us to think more deeply about um, various subjects. Um, and so that's, you know, I like to kind of go deep and have, um, conversations that other people aren't having about various various topics that intrigue me. And it really, you know, there's a lot of uh, mental health stuff, but then it's just really whatever I'm kind of fascinated by or interested in and want to have conversations about. And that's kind of how I approached it. And it was really what I realized doing the podcast is the first time in a very long time that I was running the ship. I was choosing the topics and choosing the guests and... No one was saying you can't ask this or you can't talk about this. No one said that. And I just, it was just like, I could just do whatever I want. 
<laughs> you know, I tried to make some, you know, strategic decisions. I am working in corporate America, so <laughs> I have to be careful. Uh- <laughs> but that, that sounds incredibly liberating and uplifting to be able to have these candid conversations, especially during such a bleak time. And I think the past couple of years have been relentlessly challenging for us all. Um, You know, obviously the pandemic, the ongoing climate crisis, the Black Lives Matter movement, the Stop Asian Hate movement. And that's just the tip of the iceberg. It has just felt nonstop. Um, So I guess aside from the podcast, how have you been able to get up and leave your house and felt inspired and motivated to continue pushing for positive change and just to live your life meaningfully? Because it's, it's at times has felt incredibly dark. Resourcing is something that I've been deeply leaning into, shifting and staying and resourcing. And resourcing is really about things that just bring us joy in our lives. It could be, you know, I... um I'm looking at the um, frying pans that I bought for my kitchen. I don't cook, but my boyfriend loves to um, make breakfast. And so I got these um, frying pans so he could make breakfast. And so I look over and I think about him, you know, <laughs> in here fine and shirtless making me breakfast. I literally smelled the bacon. I came out of the shower one day and he was playing Billy Joel and I smelled bacon and... I see him, you know, I was actually Christmas morning. I see him with like a Santa hat on without a shirt, like making breakfast <laughs> and it lights up my nervous system. It like, I just, I just bring that thought of that brings me so much joy. He doesn't even have to be here and I can feel in my body, the sensations I felt then. And I can sense in, sense into it since literally I'm smelling the bacon. I'm having the visual of, of how fine he is. You know? <laughs> I have that hear the Billy Joel song and, in, and I'm sensing into that in my body. And that's a resource. And I, you know, I'm and that's that's how I've been getting through. I've been really trying to lean into all of the things that I'm, I'm, I have to be grateful for in my life, all the things that bring me joy. And I've had to shut out. I've had to consciously shut out um, a lot of news. Um you know, and, and I, I've had, I have some guilt about this. I've had to, I've had to let go of um, the guilt that I have around being successful as well, of being successful, a successful trans woman when like there's so many people in our, in my community who are not doing well. Me walking around feeling guilty about my success is not useful. It's, it's not useful. And so I've, I've had to let that go. And that necessarily shifts the way in which I um, advocate for my community. I've had to pull back and reevaluate how I advocate because it's often re-traumatizing. So, and I think that's, I mean, I think that's the thing about um, what 2020 sort of wrought, particularly as Bell Hooks has passed too. She was so... She was so concerned about the mental health of Black people, the mental health of like marginalized people uh, in the face of oppressive systems. And so that is really where I am. And I think the activist thing right now, really not to be passive about injustice, but like what is our mental health and what is our spiritual grounding? I think because you spoke um, earlier about feeling sometimes guilty about your success, but on the flip side, you're a representative for so many people and on that you have such a wealth of pressure and stress on your shoulders because of this. H- mm-hmm. How do you navigate sharing your story and being able to open yourself up and be vulnerable, but at the same time be gentle on yourself and protect yourself from that online vitriol and find that right balance? 
a lot of things I have to let go of. I have to let go of, you know, there were many years. Oh, it's very emotional for me. This is many, for many years, I would, I would pray. I would pray to God and I would say, thank you so much for this responsibility. Can I please can you give me the strength to, to, for it not to be heavy, for it not to be a heavy responsibility, for me not to be weighed down by the um, responsibility that you've given me? That was my prayer for many years, and I didn't know how to do it, honestly. And, and right, right now, I've had to just let go. Right now, in, in, in 2022, as I approach 50, and I want to be here, you know, God willing, for 50 more years, I have to just let go of... Um, it's, it's, I realized, um, this is still raw for me because I'm still in process for it, but I realized that a lot of my activism was codependent. And, and when I say codependent, when I, and I, I define codependency as being sort of in a, you know, in, in the, con in the context of sort of 12 step programs, right? Code codependent relationships are often when I was in a codependent relationship and I was his caretaker and I allowed myself to be in that situation. It was very difficult to get out of it and it was codependent. So when I think about some of the ways in which I've approached activism it has reproduced some of those dynamics of me feeling guilty for not doing enough, me feeling guilty because I wasn't there for this or I didn't speak out in the right way for that, or just having a public platform, right? You know, like a lot of conversations, you know, I, I gagged last year. I was really gagging last year because I was like, you know, um, about three or four years ago, I said, I'm done with trans 101 conversations, right? And then in the wake of some of the anti-trans media that happened last year, we were back at trans 101, remedial trans 101 in these, in this very troubling way. And I was just sort of like, I was just like, what have I been doing? And like my community, like, haven't I been, you know, and I, and I, and I saw my friend Angelica Ross and tweeted something just like, you know, trans people have been saying all these things for years and you just aren't listening. And it really kind of gave me it just helped me exhale. And then like someone, then someone tweeted Angelica and said, oh, I would love you to come on my podcast and talk about this. And Angelica was like, it's online, press play. <laughs> Angelica was like, it's online, press play. We've been doing, it's press play, it's there. The work is there. And so I just, it gave me such a reprieve. I was like, press play, girl. We've been having these conversations. And so I've had to, I've had to like not let go of I'm not doing enough. I've had to let go of, you know, as I've um I've been I've been, you know, sort of since I was on the cover of Time magazine, every single year the number of trans people murdered has gone up since I've been on the cover of Time magazine. That is um it, <sighs> It's just, you know, it, visibility doesn't necessarily keep people alive, right? You know, there are limits to visibility. We talk about that in disclosure. And there's something devastating about that, right? But it's not, um, I'm only one person. And it, um, I think the critical, if I critically engage with this, this, and not sort of feel guilty about it and take all of this on, because, you know, there's something very egotistical too about taking it all on. It's like, let's like just you know, let's get right-sized about it. I'm just one person and I'm doing the best I can. And um, I'm trying to navigate having a career and living my dreams with also having this responsibility. And so the co being non-codependent means detaching with love. And that is, that's, that's, 
that's what I invite. Um, and I think you spoke earlier about fortifying yourself. And then you also um, referenced Brene Brown, uh, Bell Hooks, of course, all of these incredible women whose work has been so uplifting and inspiring. Um, are you able to share any other mentors for you or people whose work has really motivated you? Oh, there's so many. I mean, obviously Oprah. I think Oprah... I love Oprah Winfrey so much and there's so much about her life. She has taught us so much and she continues to teach us so much if we listen about being responsible for our lives. My um, my favorite speech of hers is the one she gave at the Essence Fest um, a few years back. It, that speech just... She talks about being responsible for your life and how energy is neither created or destroyed. What we put out into the world is already coming back to us, being clear about what we intend and not doing anything that we don't intend. I just, it's, Oprah's everything. It's, she's everything. And um, Leontine Price, I always talk about Leontine Price, who is the, um, you know, first Black woman to sing televised opera. She was the first sort of Black prima donna absoluta of the opera world in, in, in the 1950s and 60s. And what I, what I love about Leontine, beyond her singing, her singing, it was exceptional. She's staring her face off. So there's a level of excellence that she um, had in, in, in the art and she preserved her voice so well. But then when she talks about, um, there's a beautiful interview when she talks about um, doing um, singing Tosca on television in um, 1955. And she said, everybody around me was fluttering. She calls it fluttering. Every, there was so much noise. Everybody was freaking out. She has a, so this is 1955 in the United States, right? This is the year of the Montgomery bus boycott. You know, Mamet Teal had been murdered. It, it was not good for racial race relations, as they called it at the time in the United States. And NBC makes the decision to hire a Black woman to sing the lead in Tosca uh, in English on television with a white leading man. <laughs> when you think about it, it's like, okay, girl. <laughs> and so the South, of course, would not air the broadcast because miscegenation, interracial, anything on camera was illegal or in certain states, right, um, interracial. But, you know, so uh, the South didn't air the broadcast. There were protests um, from NBC, right? She's 26 years old. <laughs> She's come out of Juilliard. She has this incredible voice. Could you imagine being 26 and there people are protesting, you singing this opera on television. And when she's asked about it, she said, were you intimidated? And she says, no. She says, this is an opportunity that my God and my country gave me. And so I took it and everybody around me was fluttering, but I was only concerned about these two chords. She's, she always says about putting first things first. She says, if this goes away, if these chords go away, then all the noise will stop. So uh, you must not be deterred. And she also says that racism has never been the problem of the Black artist. It has always been everybody else's problem. So we must not be deterred by things that are other people's problems. I think that is incredible words of wisdom there. And I think mm -hmm. that's something that you live by and you've shared so articulately throughout this podcast. So thank you so, thank so you. much. But um, I'm conscious that we're running out of time and I could listen yeah. and talk to you all, all night in the sun setting behind <laughs> us in London. But um, I think to close off the podcast, we'd love to hear who your disruptors, or even just your trailblazers of 2022, who are those who are inspiring you with their work and who would you like mm. to see more of in the year ahead? I mean, we, we, we talk about women, I would say, um, I would say MJ Rodriguez is a disruptor. Um, Hunter Schaefer is a disruptor. She's um, the young actress from, um, from um, Euphoria, Zendaya. Oh, you know, I, um, God, 
much. There's, I mean, there's so many. There's names that we don't even know, um, too, of people who are disrupting. I think about um, my friend Valerie Spencer, who is doing... Um, She's a counselor and a minister. I had a shadow on my podcast and she counsels trans people, you know, at APAIT in Los Angeles. And she's been doing that work for many, many years. And Jasmine Nikayla Creighton, who also works at APAIT, who is this brilliant um, Black trans woman who has, you know, I remember when I met her many years ago, she wanted to... Um, start. Um, she wanted to open a place to house um, homeless trans people. And this, this was, my this would have been when I first moved to LA, I think it was around 2016. And with APAIT and with a lot of work, there's like a couple of houses now in Los Angeles that house, um, you know, trans and LGBTQ folks who don't have a place to live. And I got to visit there. And, and so I think these folks are disrupting on, on and don't get, you know, the spotlight and don't get the praise. And this work is vital, vital work for those people who are um, most marginalized. And so I, I like to think about those folks and um, folks like um, Bambi Salcedo, who um, is the executive director of the Trans Latina Coalition. She's been disrupting for a very, very long time, um, reminding us of the intersections of immigration issues with trans issues and asylum issues. And she's been, she works directly with the trans Latina community who um, struggling with issues with ICE um, and being in ICE detention with getting um, refugee status. I mean, just real like, stuff that people need every single day. And in the, with our government doing so little, the, these people and this, these kinds of organizations are really crucially important. Well, thank you for sharing such a brilliant list of both the names that, of course, we do know, such as Zendaya and Hunter, and those, more importantly, perhaps, that we don't know, and for sharing their stories and their mission. Um, but Laverne, thank you so much for joining us today. It's been incredible speaking with you, and you've spoken so eloquently on so many different topics, and I wish we could talk for <laughs> hours more. Um, but we really appreciate your time, and thank you for joining us on the Disruptor podcast. Thank you. Thank you so much. Have a lovely day. You too. Uh, the, sun is, the sun is come in lovely. <laughs> yeah, you, right? You're looking even more fabulous with that glow. Unfortunately, the sun, the sun, the sun is the sun set is in bouncing London. Off, the sun is bouncing off a building and like reflecting and it's like, oh, <laughs> <hi>. <laughs> The Disruptors was brought to you by Netaporte and Chalk and Blade, hosted by Netaporte's content director, Alice Casely Hayford, and fashion director, Kay Barron, produced by Rosie Stouffer. The team at Netaporte was Katie Barrington as the senior editor, with casting by Annabel Brog and Olivia Wakefield, and coordination by Erin Shanahan. The senior producer at Chalk and Blade was Laura Hyde, and the executive producer was Ruth Barnes. Original music and mixes were by Alexis Adimora. Enter the code DISRUPTORS at the checkout for 10% off your first Netaporte order. T's and C's and exclusions apply. To make sure you hear all the episodes, subscribe wherever you get your podcasts. And for more information, go to netaporte.com. <laughs>